الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه My brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. We come to another segment of our series talking in detail about the signs of the last hour. We have spent several classes on this one now and insha'Allah we have not long to go. I've chosen this topic, as I said before, to speak about it as detailed as possible, as time permits, to try and produce a series about the last hour, because so many people ask about detailed questions. So we decided to try and say everything and this is why it's taken so long. We arrive now at the first part of the major signs of the last hour. So far we've been talking about all the minor signs that have passed, all the minor signs that we are living in right now, and also the minor signs right up to the last day of the world. I've mentioned most of them because not all the signs in the future are major. Some of the signs in the future are also minor. For example, last week I mentioned one of the minor signs as being a man whom they nicknamed the man of the bow-legged, the man who is bow-legged, his shins are bow-legged, similar to someone who is uh, similar to someone who has rickets and their, the bones of their legs become bowed like a bow and arrow and that he will break the Kaaba brick by brick and it will never be built again after him this is right at the end that is the time when no Muslims will be left on the face of the earth this is after all the major signs, after everything. And he will come out from Ethiopia. He's an Ethiopian man, as the Prophet describes him. And he has coarse hair. And he will lead the people who are in Mecca, the Arabs and amongst them the non-Arabs who are in Mecca, because the Prophet referred to his companions and he said, you shall follow him, meaning among amongst the people who come after you in your land, from amongst your people. And this is evidence that in those times, in Mecca, it will be a time where no more deen, Islam, is left, and therefore there is no need for the Kaaba. Included in that is that the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be lifted from the hearts of all the believers, from the hearts of anyone who's ever memorized it. The Qur'an will no longer exist on earth and a group of Muslims will be left they only know the word La ilaha illallah they would have inherited it from father from grandfather from great grandfather 
And a companion asks Ibn Abbas عنه, when he narrates this hadith, what will that word benefit them on that day? La ilaha illallah. Just a word. They don't know salah, they don't know zakah, they don't know all the laws of the sharia. All they know is la ilaha illallah at a time where there is no Quran anymore. And he said, Tunjihim minan nar, Tunjihim minan nar, Tunjihim minan nar. That word will save them from the fire, it will save them, it will save them. Because that is all they knew, and that's what they believed in. This is also evident that a person who doesn't know something, not accountable for it until they know. And if you don't seek the knowledge, you are accountable for not trying to seek. But the knowledge is beyond their means. And today, insha'Allah, the major signs. The Prophet wasallam explains to us about this day. And he used to really emphasize the time when the world will end. Because after that is the day of judgment. At the moment, the lesser of the major signs has happened and that is the death of individuals when you die your major sign has happened already your last hour has ended but you remain in the grave and your soul is either rewarded or punished in the punishment or the rewards of the grave you are in a life called Hayat al-Barzakh but the last hour that we are talking about after the great major signs is when the whole universe changes from what it is right now and then after that is when everyone will be risen from their graves to be judged on the day of judgment right now there is no day of judgment as people are dying the day of judgment is the hereafter whoever does not believe in it is not a Muslim that's why the Prophet ﷺ exacerbated the matter, he emphasized it, he spoke about it. And he said, When before the last hour, wait for ten, being the major signs. And when these ten come, if one of them appears, the first one appears, then the others will follow like cutting, like cutting a necklace full of beads. And how fast do the beads roll out of the string, one after each other? Not one bead is left. The Prophet ﷺ is telling us that the last major signs, including amongst them minor signs, but mainly the ten, they will follow each other so quickly. They will feel like they are happening so quickly after each other. Bang, 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 one after each other, coming, going, coming. You don't rest. As soon as one ends, the next one still comes out. There's no time to rest. One ends, the next one's behind it. Sometimes one major sign happens at the time of before the end of the major sign before it. Some major signs remain, even with the other major signs that are going to come and they accumulate. And some pass and the next one comes immediately. There's no rest. Fast, after each other, in order. Right up to the end, and the world ends. And the first of these, we mentioned last week, to let it be clear. 
that these major signs we don't know exactly with clarity which ones come definitely first and in which order they are however according to the majority of the hadiths and the scholars of today and the past have gone to the effort of trying to find the order that it is in so I'm going to give you the order in which it, in which it is most likely in according to the views of the scholars, the majority of the scholars, the great scholars and amongst these signs is a Dajjal they say that a Dajjal comes out as being one of the first signs and then Isa alayhi salam and then the sun which rises from where it sets and during it the beast and finally the fire and amongst them that are mixed up which I will talk to you about first today actually before the Dajjal he is Imam al-Mahdi the scholars have differed Imam which means leader al-Mahdi his nickname al-Mahdi which means the awaited one or the chosen awaited one yet to come the yet to come leader the awaited anointed leader as he is called by the Prophet the scholars differed does he come before the Dajjal or during the Dajjal they differed on that but I'll tell you what the bottom line is that he is very soon about to come and that when he comes the Dajjal is very extremely near or has risen just there and then and it follows a great war as I mentioned in the past lecture a great war that will happen between the Muslims and the Romans meaning the Christians a war that has never been witnessed like that before it will be a world war that even the flying object will fall from the sky from the intensity of this war and it will end with the victory of the Muslims when out of every hundred amongst the family one of the family members is alive so no inheritance no inheritance can be distributed and no booty of the war can be rejoiced over and we'll take over Constantinople once again finally as the hadith prove that most likely will be under the hands of the reverts people who convert to Islam from amongst the Romans and they will take over Constantinople a land which is part sea part water meaning part of it is in the sea and part of it is in the water some say it's Cyprus today or near that area and they will take it over with three takbirs they say la ilaha illallah wallahu akbar three times and the people surrender it to them during that time within those that commotion within those times the Dajjal is called to have come out a lie comes from the shaitan and we send seven of our warriors the Prophet said they are warriors the best of warriors on those days Wallahi I know their names and the names of their fathers and the colors of their horses the Prophet said but he didn't tell us and I will race back to our homes towards Medina towards that area during that time to, to check if the Jal really comes out 
so false news. And I think that during that time, Al-Mahdi comes out. So who is Imam Al-Mahdi? Imam Al-Mahdi, the anointed one, the awaited one, he is from the lineage of the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he's from Ahlul Bayt. And Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet Sallallahu they include himself, his direct relatives and cousins, his uncles and his aunties, his children, his nephew Imam Ali radiallahu, his, uh, sorry, his first cousin Imam Ali is amongst them, his wives, including Aisha radiallahu anha, and not as the Shia say, or we call them the Rafidiyah, the ones who reject our Sunnah, not as they say that Aisha or the Prophet's wives are not from his family, they are. Because when you say Ahl, the first thing an Arab thinks of is two meanings. Number one, your family, and included in that family is a second meaning, is your wife. So Ahlik, in the Arabic terms, naturally and literally means your wife as well. So they are from Ahlul Bayt. And Al-Mahdi, he is from Ahlul Bayt. Allah will make him rise and with his support the religion in the world will spread. He will rule for seven years or eight years or nine years. And he will fill the world with justice and equity. And he will rid the world from oppression of its ummah, meaning the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ and victimization. The Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ will be blessed in his time, a blessing never seen before. And the earth will grow lots of plantation and vegetation and fruits in his time. Lots of rain, there will be abundant rain on the, in the world. And money will be distributed generously by Al-Mahdi and by his rule. So much so that money will not even be counted. He will, lift, he will grab large amounts of money and give them away without being counted even. So without being counted for, without counting the money, so generous that he, it's like a person putting their hand into a bowl of gold, grabbing it with your palm, just giving it to someone, without estimating how much, or without counting how much you gave them. Ibn Kathir, a great scholar, Imam Ibn Kathir, rahmatullahi alayhi, in a book called Al Bidaya wa Nihaya, he writes the history. And when he speaks about the last hour, he says, in the time of Al Mahdi, there will be many plantations, many fruits and vegetations that will grow. Many will be in abundance. The authority of Islam will be extremely powerful. It will rule the world. And people will respect the rule of Islam in his time. It will be powerful because people will yield to it and follow it and accept it and love it. The religion will stand firm, meaning the Sharia and the laws of Islam will return back strong and firm and loved and practiced with justice. The enemy will be compelled. The enemies of Islam will not be able to lift a finger against the Muslims on that day or to try to stop. All the goodness in his time will last throughout the period of his authority and his rule until his death. And then after his death, the world will return back to calamities and fitna and oppression and injustice. And that would be after his death. It's an indication that after Al-Mahdi's death, 
the last bits of the world will, will remain and the last hour will come very, very soon. His name, my dear brothers and sisters, his name is the same name as the Prophet Muhammad And his father's name will be like the Prophet's father's name. So therefore his name, Imam al-Mahdi's name is Muhammad or Ahmad ibn Abdullah, the son of Abdullah. From the offsprings of Fatima radiallahu anha, the daughter of the Prophet and directly from the sons of Al-Hasan, Imam Al-Hasan, one of the grandchildren of the Prophet son of Imam Ali radiallahu anhum ajma'in. This is his lineage. As for Ibn Kathir, he says he is Muhammad ibn Abdullah al-Alawi al-Fatimi al-Hasani. This is something good for the Shia and the Alawis. His name is Muhammad ibn Abdullah, nicknamed al-Alawi, meaning from the children and offsprings of Imam Ali. Alawi. It is an Arabic term, not meaning Alawi like the sect of Alawis that exist today, who are out of the fold of Islam. Al-Fatimi, meaning... He is from Fatima radiallahu anha. Al-Hassani, meaning he is from Imam Al-Hassan radiallahu anha. Imam Al-Hassan will be his great, 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 you know, grandfather. Radiallahu anhum ajma'in. As for his description, the Prophet sallallahu describes him by saying that he resembles the Prophet sallallahu in his features. His forehead is wide, meaning his hair, ajla, in Arabic, the Prophet ﷺ described it as being Ajla al-Jabha. Ajla meaning his forehead is wide, it's big, a big forehead, and his hair starts very high in his forehead. It doesn't mean that he's bold. There are some people they're born and their forehead is wide and their hair starts high. So it's very white and wide up here. This with the Arabs used to indicate and still indicates a sign of Someone who is smart, tactic, you know, knows how to, how to deal with things. Smart person who is tactic, he is, uh, you know, he doesn't fall easily. Smart person and wise in the way that he takes his road. And not every person who has a white forehead means that he's a good person. Because a Dajjal the Antichrist will also have a white forehead. But his white forehead, which means he's also smart and tactic, but he is smart and tactic in his evil way. So he can be smart and tactic in the evil way or in a good way. And Imam al-Mahdi, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, will also have a thin nose. Thin noses are also a sign of smart, intelligent human beings. Very smart and wise. A thin nose, and the Prophet ﷺ said towards the center of it, it's partially hooked. But he is very handsome actually. A handsome thin nose, similar to the Prophet's features. This is all what we have about the descriptions of Imam al-Mahdi with regards to his features, other than the resemblance of the Prophet ﷺ, with dark black hair and so on. He will rise, brothers and sisters, from the east, the east of Mecca. And there is a hadith by Thawban who says that the Prophet ﷺ said, 
at your treasure. He's talking to the Arabs, to the companions who lived in Mecca. He said, at your treasure. What does treasure mean? Meaning at your Kaaba, at the Kaaba that we pray towards. There will come a time, starting with the future now, three sons of three Khalifas, or what he meant was three sons of Khalifas. Nevertheless, three sons of Khalifas in our time. This is a, an, a, a sign that we will have many leaders, and this is un-Islamic, not accepted. Prophet ﷺ said, when you have many Khalifas, or if you have different people fighting for the Khilafah, What do you do? You have to kill them. There are two Khalifas, he said. Kill one of them. Because one is trying to go on top of the other. Can I have two Khalifas? Or both of them? Anyway, these three sons of different Khalifas, they will fight each other viciously at the Kaaba. Each one of them would want to rise to be the Khalifa of the new Muslims. They're all after the seat and the position. So fighting for the position, which is a major sin, Muslims fighting one another is another major sin. Fighting at the Kaaba, at the Holy Land, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbid in the Quran, is another major sin. So imagine what kind of a situation will be in that time. They will fight for the leadership, and none of them will win it over. He said, when suddenly the black flags will rise from the east, the east of Mecca. And they will fight you, O Arabs of Mecca. They will fight you because amongst them there will be those who are wrongful people. Those who are fighting alongside these three sons of the three Khalifas. He said, these black fires which will rise from the east will fight you terribly. Like none other. Meaning they will kill you and fight you like none other has ever fought you before. The, the companion who tells us this hadith, he says, Then the Prophet ﷺ said some words, I cannot remember what he said about that. So I forgot them. But then he said, remembered what Prophet ﷺ said after that. He said, then you must follow him, meaning Al-Mahdi. When you see him, and you must pledge allegiance with him, even if it means crawling on ice to get to him. A metaphor, meaning you must struggle to reach him at any extremes, to reach Al-Mahdi and follow him. For he is the Khalifa of Allah. Prophet ﷺ named him Khalifatullah. And this hadith, brothers and sisters, is sahih in Ibn Majah and others. And it is sahih under the conditions of Bukhari and Muslim. It's very sahih, very true, authentic. So Imam al-Mahdi will come from the east with a great army, huge army, giant army, full of righteous men carrying black flags. And do you know what this black flag represents, brothers and sisters? It represents the flag of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam because the flag of the Prophet sallallahu was also black don't anyone get it wrong, it wasn't white or green it was black and it was also named Al-Iqab Al-Iqab meaning the punishment that was the flag of the Prophet sallallahu whenever he went into a battle he carried the flag, a black flag it was called Al-Iqab so Al-Mahdi will appear from the eastern countries and will rise as Khalifa in Mecca, right at the Kaaba, meaning the Muslims will pledge allegiance with him at the Kaaba. And he is not, as the Shia claim, Al-Mahdi is not uh, in, a, uh, in a tunnel or a cave in a place called Samira. And that he is currently there, they say. 
And now, as we speak, Al-Mahdi is in that cave, in that tunnel, in that place, as they claim. And they claim that they are waiting for him to come out of that cave or out of that tunnel at the end of time. This is a ridiculous type of mockery to say that this Al-Mahdi is inside of a tunnel in this place and he's just waiting there, just sitting there waiting for the end of time to come out. And this is from the shaitan because it has no evidence from the Qur'an or from the sunnah and even logically it makes no sense. And these are the words, not my words by the way, I just said this, not my words. These are the words of Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi alayhi. Imam al-Mahdi will be supported by a great army from the east carrying a black flag as we said and then Imam al-Mahdi will rule over the world there are many hadiths many hadiths about al-Mahdi I will summarize what they all say he rises and rules for seven or eight or nine years great growth on livestock will spread money and food he rises in a time when the ummah meaning us are dramatically divided and we are now divided terribly. We will be terribly divided and in a time when earthquakes are so many. Very near. The people of the earth are pleased with Al-Mahdi, with his ruling, and those of the sky, meaning the angels, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with him. After him, there will be no better life, meaning when he dies, no better life will be after him. This tells us that the fitness and the hardships will return and spread after his death, brothers and sisters. Imam Ali radiallahu anhu narrates that he heard from the Prophet saying, Al-Mahdi is from us, O house of my family. Allah will make him righteous in one night. Meaning, Allah will make Al-Mahdi, will forgive him and make him a righteous man after he hadn't been. And before that night, Imam al-Mahdi will, will not be a completely righteous man and he will be a man of sin. In that night Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes him righteous. And he forgives all his sins and he'll become a righteous man, a ruler. And the Isa alayhi salam, he will descend from the sky, from above. And I'll talk about him inshaAllah later on. And he will not, Isa alayhi will not come to rule the world. But rather he will come as a prophet, he will come as a man with a duty of killing a Dajjal and as a prophet to advise us, but from amongst the Ummah of the Prophet And he will follow the leadership of Imam Al-Mahdi, Allahu Akbar. Who is this man that even a prophet follows him under his leadership? Many hadiths talk about that. The Prophet said, he is one of us, of Ahlul Bayt, whom Isa alayhi salam shall pray behind. Literally, Al-Mahdi will actually, he will lead us with a great army. And he will go to a, to a masjid with the white minaret in Syria, in Asham. We'll be praying with him there, about to go out and fight the army of Ad-Dajjal, when Isa alayhi salam will enter. I'll tell you this story a bit later on. But what I wanted out of this is that Isa alayhi salam will enter and Imam al-Mahdi will say to him, he will move back as he's just about to start the prayer of Fajr. He will, lead, he will move back and, and, and ask Isa alayhi salam to lead the prayer. But then Imam, Isa alayhi salam says to Imam al-Mahdi, no. For every nation Allah brought a trustworthy leader or a rightful leader. 
and you are the Imam of this Ummah. So Isa salam prays behind Imam al-Mahdi as Imam al-Mahdi leads the Ummah in that prayer. And the Prophet says in a hadith in Bukhari, says, what would your state be? Imagine when Isa salam will descend and he will live amongst you and while your Imam is from amongst you, meaning Imam al-Mahdi is from amongst you people. And Isa salam will fight the Dajjal uh, Al-Mahdi will fight the Dajjal with Isa alayhi salam. And the hadiths, my dear brothers, about the Mahdi are many, many. And all these hadiths are mutawatir. For those who understand the science of hadith, they are hadiths that are not narrated to us by one particular companion or by dual companions. They are narrated to us by groups of groups of companions who told groups of other people. Mutawatir, meaning it's very solid, authentic hadiths. It's like all of you here now listening from me this and then all of you go and tell another group just as big as you who tell another group just as big as you can that hadith be can anyone lie about it everyone will correct another person it's called hadith mutawatir so the hadiths are very true about imam al-mahdi and many books about al-mahdi in arabic have been written if you want to read about them there is a note here my brothers and sisters with great sorrow many writers who have popped up, you know, today, just popped up for the first time, and they claim that all of these hadiths are not accepted, even though all our past scholars have authenticated them. So some of these sects today say, for example, that uh, Al-Mahdi is in fact Isa alayhi salam himself, and this is false, this is wrong, there is no authentic hadiths about that. Or that another sect say Al-Mahdi is Imam Ali himself, and these are also unauthentic. So this is Imam al-Mahdi, brothers and sisters, who will rule the world like that. Everyone will yield under his ruling. He's the greatest Khalifa on earth to exist. And I tell you now, brothers and sisters, if you are, asked, if you are after the unity of the Ummah right now, then I tell you right now it's impossible. And I say that with conviction. You can try your best in uniting the Ummah, but it's impossible right now. Focus on uniting yourself within yourself. Purify yourself and cleanse yourself. After you've cleansed yourself, unite between your family and your relatives. Unite yourself with your friends whom you are upset with or whom you, are, you have cut off your friendship with. This is what you should be doing right now. But forming large groups and saying, let's unite the Ummah, it's impossible right now. It won't unite until the Mahdi comes. Because if the Khalifa comes out right now, I say it all the time, the Khalifa would, if a Khalifa was to come out right now, would kill him. Yes, we would kill him. Focus on cleansing yourself and connecting your family ties and helping out the community that you are around. Don't try to solve the, the, the issues of the world. This is a course which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has willed. We cannot change it right now. To move on now. This is what I have to say about Imam al-Mahdi. I don't have much else to say about it except for other narrations which I am not comfortable in narrating because I don't know if they're authentic or not. I move on now to talk to you about a greater sign than Al-Mahdi. I don't say he's greater because of my opinion or my view. All the views are opinions of the scholars, but rather it is the opinion and view. Sorry, it is the, not the opinion of you, it is the saying of the Prophet He used to emphasize 
the coming of this next man and used to warn us so much from his coming that he was وسلم, himself showed sometimes a reaction of paranoia and caused the companions also to show reactions of extreme paranoia every man they'd see that had this description they'd think that's him he is Al-Masih Al-Dajjal and the Prophet said Al-Masih Al-Dajjal I fear upon you that if he comes while I am amongst you then I will take care of you and I am accountable in front of Allah but if he comes after me then every man to himself and Masih al-Dajjal's time is the greatest fitna that can happen to the Ummah as a whole because he will be a man you won't notice his evil unless you have Tawheed he'll be a man that gives the people who follow him great goodness and you'll become so rich and so happy if you follow him and if you don't follow him he just abandons you he doesn't fight you or kill you but rather he abandons you but he leaves you barren your lands will not graze your wealth will diminish he will order he will have so many miracles which Allah has given him to test the people he will be the final greatest test before the coming of the true Isa al-Masih, Jesus peace be upon him. Al-Dajjal, he is named in the ahadith as al-Masih al-Dajjal, not just Dajjal, al-Masih al-Dajjal. Why? Well first of all let's look at the word al-Masih. Al-Masih in Arabic has up to 50 meanings in the famous Arabic dictionaries. It can mean anything between from the best of righteous guiders to the worst of the lying misguiders. You can say Al-Masih to any one of those people. <coughs> in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ calls Al-Dajjal Al-Masih. And he says Al-Masih Al-Dajjal, the lying, deceitful Messiah. Isa alayhi salam is also called Al-Masih, the Messiah. However, Isa alayhi salam is the righteous guider. And Al-Masih al-Dajjal is the lying misguider. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually created two opposing messiahs. The lying Masih and the truthful Masih. It's a wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to test the people. A final test. And he brought out the lying deceitful Masih before the truthful guiding Masih. Meaning he brought out al-Dajjal before Isa alayhi salam to give the final test for all of mankind. Jannah, my dear brothers and sisters, Jannah. Jannah is expensive. And its wealth or its price is not money, but rather its price is your piety and steadfastness to the belief of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no matter what circumstances change. Brothers, can someone just switch on the lights with our sisters upstairs? Just from that box over there. And Al-Dajjal was named Al-Masih, literally meaning wiped away. Why? He was named so because of his wiped away eye. Or that he spreads the world, he wipes the whole world, he spreads throughout the world in 40 days. But he will not be able to enter Mecca or Medina. 
The word Ad-Dajjal means liar, deceiver, cheat, crook, con artist, fraud, misrepresentative. It means all of those words. So you can probably say for a con artist, you know, anyone who cheats, call him a Dajjal as well. Someone who says, I'm a prophet, he's a Dajjal. Right? Someone who tries to make out somebody who tells you a false story and says it's true, he's a Dajjal. But this Al-Masih Al-Dajjal is, is a different man. Here are his descriptions for you, brothers and sisters. And remember, only the ignorant person does not know the descriptions of Al-Dajjal. They are extremely clear that you have to be ignorant not to know them. The Prophet ﷺ describes him to us. He is a young man. So he's not old. He's not middle-aged. Nor is he a child or a teenager. But he is a young youth. Shab. Probably in the 30s. He is a young man. He has a red complexion in his skin. He's got a red colored skin, red complexion. He is short, he's not tall. He's a short man. He's bow-legged, meaning his legs are like a bow. He has very coarse hair. He has a wide forehead. He has a very wide neck. So his neck is, is, is fat and big. His right eye, according to the correct hadiths, the correct view, his right eye, the ball, the actual eyeball in his right eye is blind, flat, but not burrowed, not burrowed, meaning it's not, the eye socket is not hollow, nor is the eye protruding outside like our normal eyeballs, but it's just flat, mamsuha, wiped, that's why his name is Al-Masih, his right eye is flat like that. And his right eye is not only flat, it's blind. He can't see through one eye. His awar. And the Prophet ﷺ gives a further description to the eye. He says, it's like a piece of grape that's squeezed. And you've squeezed the liquid out of it. You squeeze a white grape. And what does it look like? And you flatten it. That's how his right eyeball looks like. His left eye has a protruding black piece of meat that comes out, growing out of the canthus of the eye. So out of the, uh, the inner corner of the eye, right here, near the nose. And it's like a little big pimple, but it's permanent there. It's a black piece of meat which protrudes out of the left eye and covers a tiny bit of the eye, the actual whiteness on this side. And he has three letters that are written between his eyes just on the below part of his forehead. Three small letters in Arabic. They are Kaf, Tha and Ra or in some narrations Kafar. Every Muslim who is literate and illiterate can read those letters which means which means uh, any disbeliever or rejecter of Allah, or rejecter of faith. That's what kufr means. And he is sterile, or barren, or impotent, meaning he can't have children. So a Dajjal cannot have any children. A Dajjal, however, is a very huge man. He's one of the hugest men your eyes could lay on. Even though he's short, but he's huge. He's a very big man. Very solid and strong man. So when you see him, 
Although there, are, there could be men his size, but you would say to yourself, well, I haven't seen a man in reality this size. He's big. And he will rule the earth for 40 days. According to some narrations, the first day is as long as a year, the second day is as long as half a year or four months, and the third day is as long as a month, and the fourth day is as long as a week, and the rest of the days are as long as normal days that we, you and I, share in. They said, Ya Rasulullah, what will happen when those days are long? How can we know our prayers? He said, estimate them. So the way you used to estimate them according to your timings. And there are many hadiths about al-Dajjal in al-Bukhari and Muslim and others. One of the most famous hadiths about, about al-Masih al-Dajjal. For example, in one hadith in al-Bukhari where the Prophet says, Your Lord is not our, your Lord is not one-eyed. And a Dajjal is one-eyed, meaning he sees with one eye, but he's got two eyes. A Dajjal will come to earth and he is a loner by himself. The people who will follow him, the majority of the people who will follow him will be the Jews, the non-Arabs and the Turks. You're thinking, why the Turks? In those days, brothers and sisters, the Turks were not the Turks that you see today. Turkey didn't exist in the time of the Prophet So a Turk in those days meant the parts of Mongolia and the parts near, you know, uh, Turkestan and Tajikistan and uh, towards those areas, Chechnya. All that whole area was called the Turks at that time. And most of them will be amongst them. And he also said, and a mixture of people from amongst the people, from the Arab, meaning the Bedouins amongst the Arabs. The Arab, the Bedouins, they're the, like, the most ignorant people. And also a lot of women will also follow him. These are the most, the majority of these people have got weak hearts. They're, they're not very courageous naturally. The women actually naturally are not very courageous in general. So they will give in to the, the, the torments. So we Muslim men have to be the ones who have to stand firm, the mu'mineen, and hold our family and children and wives and sisters and brothers and, and daughters very firmly. And Ad-Dajjal will have several signs and miracles that Allah gives him in order to test the people with. He will have the power to call the clouds and rain wherever he wants them to rain. He will have the power to make a land fertilized and grow its crops or make it barren and unfertilized no matter what you do to it. He will have the power to come to a mountain and order it to and order it to bring out all of its treasures and gold and silver and he will make them march behind him like soldiers. He will also have the power to rule the jinns, the world of jinns and he will order them and they can make different figures and features as he wishes. When he first comes he says to the people, I am the real Messiah, meaning Isa alayhi salam. He says to the people, I am Jesus, but he's calling them. 
Since the Christians today are awaiting the coming of Jesus السلام, and so are the Jews awaiting some other man who will lead them, a Dajjal will suffice for both of them. And he will carry with him two things. On his right, as Prophet explained, I don't know if it's literal or it's metaphorical, but on his right, he will have a fire. And on his left, a fountain stream or a lake. He said, when you see him, rush towards his fire that looks like fire, for it is actually his stream of water to drink from. And do not go to the other, for it is his fire. So he deceives people in every way. And when he says to the people, I am Jesus, everyone follows him. And then after that, he promotes himself because now he's ready. After showing the miracles, he promotes himself and says to the people, I am your God. So the people begin to worship him. And when he says, I am God, some people begin to reject him So amongst the Muslims. So he says to them, well, what if I bring back your father and your mother back to life from death or your great-grandparents? Would you believe I am God? They will say, well, yes, if only God can do that. So he orders the jinns to impersonate their parents and they begin to talk to them. And so they begin to worship at Dajjal. There will be one man, the Prophet ﷺ said, he is the best man, the best believer in that time, amongst all the nation of the Prophet ﷺ, after Al-Mahdi. And he knows the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that Al-Dajjal will be able to kill one person He'll kill a lot, but he'll be able to kill one particular person and raise him back to life once in front of the eyes of the people. So this righteous man is caught and he try, while he's trying to tell his, the Dajjal's followers that he is a liar, then they capture him and they say to him, how dare you talk about our God as a liar? So they bring him before him at his throne. And the Dajjal says to him, what if I do this to you and that for you and all these miracles. Doesn't this prove to you that I am God? He says, never. My messenger told me about you. So then he orders a saw to be brought and he saws him in half before everyone's eyes. He splits him into two pieces. Then he walks between his two body parts and the man's body comes back together again and he lives, but comes back to life. Ad-Dajjal then says to him, I have brought you back to life. Do you not believe that I am now God? And he says, now I am more confident that you are the liar because you will not be able to do this another, a second time. When he knows this, he grabs him and orders for him to be thrown into the fire, real fire. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places him in Jannah. And this causes confusion amongst some people. This is towards the end of his ruling. Until finally... Al-Masih Isa alayhi salam, the real Isa alayhi salam descends from the sky. And this is the third major sign. He comes down in Asham, in Syria, which is now known as Syria. He will descend from the sky with two angels carrying him on each side. 
He will be wearing two pieces of clothing, a long shirt and trousers that are white. And his hair will belong to his shoulders, black and wavy, not too wavy, but large, long curls, long waves, as if they are still wet. Because Isa salam, he had bathed and then he was risen up while his hair was still soaking with water. So he'll be descending that way. And he will come into, into the uh, masjid with the, with the white minaret where the army of Muslims and Al-Mahdi will be leading the prayer as I said earlier. He will enter and everyone will stop and move back and see Isa alayhi salam. And the Prophet describes him to us. He says he has a red, com he has red, a red complexion on his, up on his cheeks, on his cheekbones. There's a red complexion showing signs of healthiness and health and showing signs of, of him being very handsome and bright. And that Isa alayhi salam, he is, he's a red complexion on his cheeks and he's white in color. And he is not hairy nor is he hairless. And when the Muslims see him, he wipes with his palm on the face of every Muslim there. And then he informs him of his place in Jannah and what he has awaiting for him in paradise. And the Muslims become rejoiced. From that moment onwards, brothers and sisters, it is the greatest time for the Muslims ever. Ever. Imam al-Mahdi, full of justice. Isa alayhi salam who killed the Dajjal. After that time, it will be 40 years. Allah knows how long they are because time will have barakah and blessings that even the wolf and the sheep will graze next to each other and not harm each other. The child will play with the python and the scorpion and the snake and it will not harm him. Poison won't harm. A life similar to paradise on earth. Imam al-Mahdi tells him to pray Imam but Isa says to him for every nation there is his appointed leader and you are the leader of this ummah. So Isa prays behind al-Mahdi as part as one of the ummah of the Prophet and then he will set out of the masjid with the army of the Muslims behind him, a huge army, great army. And then they will reach Bayt al-Maqdis, Jerusalem, Bayt al-Maqdis. And they will be inside of Bayt al-Maqdis. Al-Mahdi with Isa inside of Bayt al-Maqdis when Ad-Dajjal and his army reach them. And then Isa salam opens the door and before him is Ad-Dajjal and the army of Ad-Dajjal in the millions. As soon as Ad-Dajjal sees Isa salam, he knows his fate has come. So he runs away. Sorry, he's, he, he, I, I forgot to tell you. He begins to melt. He begins to melt. As he is melting, he runs away. He doesn't want the people to see him. So Isa salam calls out to prove to the people. He says, I am going to kill you. Races after him and with his sword he strikes his neck and he dies. No one else is able to kill Ad-Dajjal except for Isa salam. Not even Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Only Isa salam can kill him. And this is a wisdom from Allah. A plan from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the people see this, the ones who are there who see it, they begin to pledge allegiance with Al-Mahdi and follow the group of, of, of Isa alayhi salam. And a large majority in the world still remain disbelievers. The world is huge. 
<clears throat> this is that's when Isa when Ad-Dajjal dies. But I want to tell you something today a bit more interesting about Ad-Dajjal which you probably may have not heard before. Be ready to hear this. Two stories about Ad-Dajjal. Number one, the question is always asked, is Ad-Dajjal right now living on earth somewhere? Is he already born? Is he here now? Is he created? Or is he yet to come? And if so, is he a human being or something else? Or is he Isa or is he someone else? Here are your answers in these following two stories. There was a man at the time of Muhammad His name, or he was known as Ibn Sayyid. And his first name was Safi. So he was Safi Ibn Sayyid. And the story of Safi Ibn Sayyid is a very, very unusual story that the scholars differed whether he was really the Dajjal or not. This Safi Ibn Sayyid, or his name is also Abdullah Ibn Sayyid, was a Jew from Medina. He lived in Medina and he was a Jew from a Jewish family. He was very young at the time when the Prophet ﷺ migrated from Mecca to Medina. And in Ibn Kathir, in the book, the beginning and the end, he says he actually became a Muslim. Safi ibn Sayyid actually became a Muslim and pledged allegiance with the Prophet ﷺ. And he had children, got married and he lived amongst the Muslims, amongst the companions. And he was in Mecca and Medina. Anyway, the story of this young boy, Safi ibn Sayyid, as he grew up, he was taught to hate the Prophet and he hated him so much. But a rumor spread about him that he was able to tell things of the future and that he was able to read your heart and say what you were thinking about. So sometimes he would say lies, sometimes he would say truths. And his matter was so peculiar and strange, this unique feature of his. He was able to read your mind. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he heard about him, he wanted to know whether he was really he was a Dajjal or not. Or that he was just a you know, young boy, liar, just making up things. So the Prophet ﷺ used to watch him and monitor him. One time, the Prophet ﷺ was you know, running from tree to tree, hiding behind the trees. And Umar ibn al-Khattab was with him. He was running and getting closer to the village where Ibn Sayyad was playing with the children. So Prophet hid behind a tree very secretly inside to get really slow, closer to spy on Ibn Sayyad as he's watching him with his features and his movements. And at that time Ibn Sayyad, he had woken up and his right eye was wiped away. Anyway, after he completed playing, Ibn Sayyid sat near a palm tree and then his mother came out and saw the Prophet ﷺ looking. So she screamed out, Ya Safi, there is Muhammad ﷺ. So Safi got angry and he looked up, Prophet ﷺ jumped in front of him and he grabbed him. And he said to him, 
أتشهد أني رسول الله I want to ask him questions to know whether it's him Do you bear witness that I am the messenger of Allah He said to him And Safi said to him sarcastically I believe that you are the messenger of the illiterate ones Remember that word The messenger for the illiterates Nabiyyin ummiyin Then the Prophet, then the young boy said to him Atashhadu anni ana Rasulullah Do you bear witness that I am the messenger of God And the Prophet refused to answer him And he said Amantu billahi wa rusulih I believe in Allah and his messengers Then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, I've hid a word inside my chest. Can you say, can you tell me what it is? So then the teenager put his hand on Prophet's chest and then he said, This is what he said. He said, Adduh, Adduh. The Prophet ﷺ became angry at him and he said, May you be degraded. Your power cannot go higher than that. Umar ibn Khattab getting angry at him. So he put his hand on his sword and said, Ya Rasulullah, let me slit his throat. Let me strike his neck, O Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet said to him, No, Ya Umar. Because if he is a Dajjal, because Umar Khattab wanted to strike his neck because he thought he's a Dajjal. You know, he got he got powered up. Hot up when the Prophet said, La ala qadruk. He thought, Asad Dajjal, Ya Rasulullah, let me strike his neck. The Prophet said, No. For if he is really a Dajjal, you will not be able to kill him. And if he's not a Dajjal, you're not going to get anything out of killing him. And this, this hadith is in Al-Bukhari. After that, Umar began to tell the people that he used to say, Wallahi, he is a Dajjal. And the Prophet used to hear him, and he would not refute Umar bin Khattab. He would stay silent. Anyway, one time Prophet ﷺ asked the companion to ask the mother of Safi, of Ibn Sayyad, how long was she pregnant with him for? So his mother said, I was pregnant with him for 12 months, not 9. And he asked, when you gave birth to him, how did he come out? What kind of a cry did he have? And she said he had the cry like a one-month-old baby. So it was a mature cry compared to a newborn. The story is long, brothers and sisters, about him. However, Ibn Umar, the son of Umar radiallahu anhu said that at one time he was walking around when he saw Ibn Sayyad come up and his eye was wiped away and Ibn Umar had a stick with him. So Ibn Sayyad, so Ibn Umar said to Ibn Sayyad, Safi, he said to him, how long has your eye been like that for? And he said, I don't know, I woke up and it was in my eye. I never noticed it, being sarcastic. Then Ibn Umar said, it's in your face and, you can't, and you're telling me you don't notice it? So, Ibn Sayyad said to him, well, if Allah wants to, he could have made it in your stick. And he's trying to just be sarcastic in some ridiculous manner. And he started to laugh. Ibn Umar said, he laughed worse than what I've ever heard a donkey. That's how he started to laugh. He got so angry at him that he started to involuntarily hit him with his stick. He started hitting him so hard. He said that the companions that were with me, he said to, they said to me, you broke the stick on him into many pieces and he didn't even feel it. Then Ibn Umar, he broke it and can't even feel that he's just hit him so hard in his body. As he said, he goes, his body started to blow up. In, you know, inflate sort of thing. He said, so I left him and ran away and went to my mother uh, Hafsa, radiallahu anha. 
And when he told her the story, she said to him, Rahimakallah, ya ibn Umar, may Allah have mercy on you. Why did you do that for? Didn't you hear the Prophet say that Ad-Dajjal will arise out of a burst of anger? Anyway, another story of Safi ibn Sayyad. We mentioned that he became a Muslim. One time, a hadith narrated by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiallahu anhu, he said that one time a group of us companions went to Hajj and a group of us were going for Umrah. And Safi ibn Sayyad was amongst the people who were going with us to Mecca. And he goes, on our way, to Mecca, uh, on our way back from, from Hajj, from Mecca, it was hot, so we all sat down. And all the other companions, they used to try and move away from Safi ibn Sayyad because of the paranoia they had towards him. So Safi ibn Sayyad decided to come and choose me to sit right next to me. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said, and I didn't want him to sit next to me because of what people are saying about him. <coughs> so I made up an excuse and said to him, why don't you go and sit in the shade, you know, it's very hot. So he went and sat in the shade, after a while he comes back to him with a bottle of water and he says to him, drink. And then Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said to him, a bottle with milk in it, he said, no, no, it's too hot and probably the milk is, is hot. He said, I didn't reject it only because I didn't want anything from the man. So I want to get rid of him, get him out of my way. Then suddenly he sat right next to me. He said, and I'm thinking, why is this man keep you know, bugging me for? Then he said to me, you know, I feel like hanging a rope from that tree and killing myself. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said, looked at him and said, why would you want to do that for? And then Safi said to him, because of the rumors people are spreading about me. They're saying I'm a Dajjal. And Ya Abu Sa'id, you are from the people of the Ansar. And out of all the people, you will understand the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu He said, yeah. He said, well, didn't he say that a Dajjal will not be able to enter Mecca and Medina? He said, true. He said, well, here I am in Mecca and Medina. He said, didn't he say that he is uh, barren, he can't have children? He said, yeah. He said, well, I've got children. They're in Medina now. Subhanallah. So, Sayyid al-Khudri started to think, well, maybe, he, maybe he's right. When all of a sudden, Safi ibn Sayyid changed his words around and he said to him, but you know what? I know where he is. And I know where he is born, Dajjal. So Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said, Tabbalak min ghayr al-yawm. Get out of my way. Get out of here, man. You know, it's like, uh, what the hell are you? <laughs> In other words, Tabbalak, move away from me. He goes to him, I'm not a Dajjal. Then he goes to him, but I know where he's born and I know where he is right now. Freaky, yeah. And finally, Ibn Sayyad kept living until the time of the battle with Musaylam al-Kadhab, where most of the Muslims died in that battle. Especially the 10,000 of the memorizers of the Qur'an died in that battle. They said after that battle was over, they looked amongst the dead and the living, and no one can find Ibn Sayyad Safi ever again. He vanished. And his children had all died. And he was never to be seen again, neither amongst the living nor amongst the dead. This is one story. Till today, some scholars think that Ibn Sayyad is the Dajjal himself. Here's another story which I found in Sahih Muslim. Imam Muslim narrates this story. It is narrated on the authority of one of the, uh, the first generation tabi'is, meaning the children of the companions. 
He says, I asked Fatima bint Qais, one of the companions that, the companions that lived on the time of the Prophet I asked her one time, Oh Fatima, tell me something about the Prophet that you heard from him directly. I don't want to hear that you heard from other people. I want something that you heard directly from the Messenger Then she said, Yes, they called us to the Masjid. Is it time for Adhan? Still time. What time is Maghrib? 8.25. We'll finish the story inshallah and end it here. She said, after my husband had died and I became a widow, I waited for my iddah to end, which is, 40, which is 4 months and 10 days. And then I heard a call at the masjid of the Prophet Masjid al-Nabawi in Medina. So I went there. And... The Prophet ﷺ prayed a prayer and the Muslims were gathered and I sat in the back row. Then the Prophet ﷺ climbed the mimbar and he had a smiley face. And he said, I have not called you to remind you or to command you or prohibit you or anything like that. But I've come to you with a special news that I've just received from Tamim al-Dari. A companion named Tamim al-Dari. He was a Christian and he had come to the Prophet ﷺ to become a Muslim. And with him were 30 men. What's the story that Tamim al-Dari said? He goes, We were on a ship in the middle of the ocean with 30 men with us. Suddenly, a storm hit us for one month. On the final day of the, of the month, at sunset, we climbed to the deck, down to the deck, or to, the, uh, to the bottom of the, of the ship, and we awaited there. The next morning, we found our ship on the edge of an island. And we hadn't known where we are. Someone. So we came, we set out, and we saw in front of us a beast like we've never seen before. It had so much hair on it that we did not know its front from its back. And it spoke to us. So we got afraid of it. We thought it was a shaitan. And it said, and we asked it, What are you? And it said, I am Al Jassasa, meaning the spy. And then it said, There is a man waiting for you. There is a man waiting for you in Adir, meaning in the top, in a little room up on those hills over there in the mountains. He goes, as soon as we heard the animal say that, we ran away from it thinking it was a devil. And we ran up to the mountains and to the hills to find this man for help. They said, then we entered this massive room and at the end of it, before us was a man so huge in his build, we have never seen a man that size in his build before. Bakham. Big. And then we said to him, What are you? By the way, they said, His wrists were tied to his ankles with steel chains and his head was between his knees. Like that. So then he looked up at us. And we asked him, Who are you? And he said, Well, now you know about me. Let me ask you some questions. They said, Ask. He said, where are you from and what happened to you? And they told him the story about how they came there. Then he asked the question, tell me about the palms of Baisan. Baisan is a city between Haran and Palestine, or somewhere near Jordan, between Palestine and Jordan. It's a city over there, its people know. And people who live there, they know that there is a famous fountain there, a fountain which is partially salted. 
salty. And lots and lots of palm trees are there in those days. He said, tell me about it. They said, what would you want to know? He said, is there lots of palm trees around it? They said, yes, it's full of palm trees and the people eat from its fruits. He said, soon its palm trees will go away and there will be no fruits for the people. Then he said, tell me about the lake of Tabariyya, also in Palestine. Does it have a lot of water in there and people drink from it and plant around it? They said, yes, lots. He said, soon it will dry out. Then he said, ask, he asked them, tell me about the city of Zaghar or the fountain in Zaghar. Zaghar is a city which is about three, walk, three days journey from Jerusalem. And it has a lake in there which is smelly. Lots of people plant their trees around it. He asked, do people plant their trees around it and so on? They said, yes. Then he said, tell me, has a man risen amongst the Arabs who says that he is a prophet and he is illiterate? Did the, sorry, he said, did the prophet of the illiterate people come out? Nabi al-Ummiyin. And did the Arabs fight him? They said, yes. He said, oh, this, this really happened? He was astonished. He was like happy. They said, yes. He said, ah. He goes, good that those who fought along his side, it is good for them. And then they asked him, who are you then? And he said, now that you told me this soon, my time will come very soon and I will be released. He said, I am Al-Masih. Isa, I am Jesus the Messiah and I shall come out and rule the world for 40 days but the only lands that I will not be able to reach are Mecca and Tiba and this is all they left him this is what the story ends and they came looking for Prophet and they found their way back to Al-Madinah the Prophet ﷺ became so proud that he began to stamp with his stick on his member and say to everybody, one of the greatest fitness that I fear of you is about a dajjal And he began to talk about a dajjal that his time is very near, that the companions got so scared, they said, we thought that a dajjal was just about to pop up from behind the palm trees behind us. And then he said, tapping at his member and saying, he will not be able to enter Mecca and Tiba. So run to Mecca and Tiba and seek refuge there, wherever you are in the world that time. And then he said, Ala hadihi Tiba, Ala hadihi Tiba, Ala hadihi Tiba. He said, Behold everyone, this land which he started tapping on, meaning Medina, this is Tiba, this is Tiba, this is Tiba, meaning Medina is Tiba. And the Dajjal will not be able to enter it. When he reaches it, however, Jibreel will be standing on its boundaries and he will prevent Ad-Dajjal from entering it. So he will place his foot, just his foot into Mecca and Medina and it will rumble. And he will call out to the people, come out to me from a mountain, from a hill. And then the weak Bedouins will release and go out and follow him. And the women, as for some of the women who are married to righteous men or the daughters of righteous men, the hadith tells us that their men will actually need to tie them up to the pillars so they will not go out and be uh, hypnotized by Ad-Dajjal that day until Isa salam comes and so on well brothers and sisters this is where we have reached halfway through the major signs of the last hour
I hope that we gained a lot of knowledge today. And insha'Allah next week we'll finish off the signs of the last hour. But I'd just like to make a little reminder that in next week's class, insha'Allah, it will, it, will, uh, it will be a combination of two parts. In the first part of my lecture, I will be translating the Saturday class which Shaykh Muhammad will be giving tomorrow, insha'Allah, in summary. And then I will finish that and in the second half of my lecture I will begin with the continuation of the major signs, our usual lectures, insha'Allah. So I hope to see you then. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us and give us mercy and accept our gathering today, tonight. أقول قولي هذا وصلى الله وسلم على رسوله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله